Welcome to Find the Magic, the podcast that will help you honor yourself, your kids, and your partner. We'll give you tips and strategies to create peace and authenticity within your family. We inhale a ridiculous amount of books and life tools and distill the information for you. I'm Terilyn Griffin. I'm Caitlin Gabriel. And I'm Felicia Allen. Let's find the magic together. Hello, everybody. This is Felicia, and I'm going to start us off with a high five. It has been the worst sick season I think my family has ever had in the history of having kids. I feel like sicknesses are just cycling through, and so much so, I looked up like nationally, and it's like a really, really, really bad flu year, apparently. It's a thing. So... Mm. Take heart if you are also in the same boat. But I wanted to share for my high five a little vitamin combination that I think helped eliminate, like, stave off a sickness that was coming on for me. And that was zinc, liquid, ionic zinc, (laughs) vitamin D, also liquid dropper, and turmeric ginger combo. So I'm going to link those somewhere for you in the email or the show notes, but the, the trifecta really, I had a really bad sore throat. Like when you know you're getting sick and I did this little combo right before bed, woke up, no more sore throat. It could have just been a coincidence, but now it's going to go down in wives tell for me, like (laughs) carry it on. (laughs) Yes. Okay. Well, I love that. And I'm totally on board because yes. Oh, no more sickness. I don't want any more. Um, no. That's the worst. Um, okay. Yes. I love it. Definitely. I want, I want that. Mine is a face palm and it is so, um, I just barely moved. My family just moved and um, which was great. Everything actually went well. I mean, moving itself is never that great, but it went well. And, but the thing is, for anybody who has moved or can relate to this, which I think are probably a lot of people, you know how there's always that stuff at the end that you leave out because you use it daily, but then, you know, it like has to go into a box at the end because everything's going. So I had like some stuff, including my toiletries, you know, like there was stuff, but one of the things was a hairbrush. And this is going to maybe sound silly to some people, but this hairbrush we call it the Holy grail of all hairbrushes. It's the best. And it like, I've had it since high school. So my aunt Julie had this hairbrush when we were kids and like for kids, you know how your hair gets really snarly as a girl. And so like, anyway, this hairbrush is amazing. I love it. And it is kind of an expensive hairbrush. I'm not one to like spend a lot of money on cosmetic stuff, honestly, but anyway, I love this hairbrush. So I'm just trying to give some context here of how much this hairbrush means to me. I've had it for like over a decade and I treat it with great care. And I had it out as one of my last things to to pack because I was going to be using it like up until the end because then I would use it again. So I I think on moving day, I'm pretty sure I put it in with all my stuff. Well, that's what I thought would have happened. But long story short, I have all my other stuff. Like I have my makeup bag. I have like I have the other stuff that I used up on the day of, but I cannot find the hairbrush and I don't know where it is. And the hard thing is that like 
I'm pretty sure I unpacked those boxes that would have been like the last things to get packed up. So I'm sad because I'm like, I can't find this hairbrush. And it really is like kind of expensive. So it's not like I can just like go and like buy it. Cause then if it turns up, I'm going to be bugged that I bought it again. Mm-hmm. So anyway, face palm to that. I don't know where mm-hmm. it is. And I'm like so bummed about it anyway. And I'm like racking my brains. I'm like, where would it have been put? But I don't know. I can't find it. So face palm to that. Yeah. I, I literally have this place in my brain that is reserved for lost things. And they bother me from the place in my brain until they're found. Or I have to say, I'm never going to find it. And I replace it. I have to like take it out and it, it uh-huh. can drive me really nuts. So I'm feeling for you. Yeah, yeah. It's the worst. It really is. So. Oh, mm-hmm. Kaylin, that makes me a heart. We called the queen brush in my house is the same brush. And wow, I, that makes me so sad. I hope it comes up for you quickly. Thank you. I am convinced that there are, well, this not to scare you or anything, but I feel like for the most part, things just find their way up from the surface, you know, to the surface after a move. But there are some things I swear there are like little middle move monsters that just eat stuff. Well, I'm convinced <laughs> actually that's in my house. There's just little, little elves or something that just eat stuff. But <laughs> Anyway, but not that's not going to be what happens to your brush for sure. It's going to come up to the surface. Thank you. I'm really excited for when that happens. Okay. Well, my high five is actually, guys, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if I've ever high fived this ever in the history of our podcast. Maybe I have, but I don't remember it. I feel like I'm always face palming sleep. But today I am going to high five sleep. And that is because... <laughs> Um, me and my husband have been through something really hard and we've both been recovering with a lot of sleep. Like it's like our brains actually need more sleep. I don't know if I've ever experienced it like this before where the difficulty of an experience was so strong. I mean, I felt that like after childbirth and stuff or when you're really sick, but I don't know if I've ever had a, this was emotionally difficult enough that I actually need sleep to recover from it. And I have heard, you know, sleep experts talk about this. I can't remember her name. There was some doctor a while ago I heard. She said, people say time heals all things, but actually sleep heals all things. Like our bodies and our minds and our emotional hearts need sleep. So guys, I am, I am not kidding you. I am going to bed early, not waking up very early. Like I'm getting at least two hours more sleep than I'm used to getting I mean, I'm talking, there's days where I'm getting like nine, maybe even, well, usually nine, but like there's been a couple days where I've gotten 10 hours of sleep and I need it. Like I wake up and I'm like, whoa, I needed that. And if anybody knows me and my sleep actual habits, you know how big of a deal that is. <laughs> like I, I mean, it's, you guys have heard me talk about it so many times how I want to prioritize sleep, but there's just so much life to live and it's so hard for me. Wow. And I'm feeling the the healing of it. Like the, the sleep is really beautiful. And I'm finding, honestly, I'm finding a lot of self, it's like self-honoring. It's like a self-honoring practice to recognize, whoa, I need actual more sleep. And this is because my brain and my emotional body needs more sleep, not just my physical body, you know? So mm-hmm. high five to actually getting good amounts of sleep when you need it. That's awesome. Very high five. 
Yes. <laughs> so let it be written in the annals of our, the history of our podcast that Terilyn has actually high-fived getting a good amount of sleep. I don't know if that's happened before. Okay, well today, guys, we are going to be talking about... We're going to be pulling from the book Atlas of the Heart by Brene Brown. And wow, wow, this book is so fabulous. It's She kind of goes through a, just a lot of different emotions that we feel as humans. And then she, within the light of her own brilliant research, gives us lots of perspective and gives us power through the definition. Because I don't know if you guys have, if we've already talked about this, but there's a lot of talk about emotional intelligence and that if we don't actually have the words, the language to describe what we're feeling, it actually decreases our emotional intelligence. We're unable to process them as much because we can't actually articulate what it is we're feeling. So it might sound kind of silly to have a bunch of definitions. These are more than definitions. They're really in-depth definitions of emotions. But the power here is it gives us language to describe what we're feeling. And when we have language to describe what we're feeling, it gives validity and it allows us to actually process them. So to me, this exercise of reading this book is really powerful. It increases our emotional intelligence. It allows us to really get out of just the, you know, they did, it was like with a lot of, a lot of people looked at what people usually describe. They usually just say mad, sad, happy, and there's one more, or maybe it's just mad, sad, happy. Like that's what most people just say. Those are the emotions that come through their vocabulary, but there's so many more emotions than that. So it's really difficult to process it if we can't even articulate what it is we're feeling. So today we're going to talk about the chapter that's called When Things Don't Go As Planned. And I love this chapter in a kind of love, also not love way, because we all, (laughs) all of us, there's no way to get through this life and just be like, everything went exactly as planned. And I don't regret anything, right? Because even when things do go as you planned, what we often discover the more years you live is even when things go as you planned, sometimes you still regret them, right? So there's nothing wrong with that concept. It's simply a matter of learning to, to navigate it. So she talks about five different emotions in this chapter. We have disappointed, regretful, discouraged, resigned, and frustrated. So I'm just going to briefly give you guys a very short definition of each, and then we're going to do a little bit of expounding on a few of them that resonate with us. So the first one is disappointed. The definition of that is, it didn't work out how I wanted, and I believe the outcome was outside of my control. So again, here the key is you're feeling disappointed because yeah, it didn't go as planned, but you kind of put the responsibility of that outside of yourself. I'm disappointed, but it just didn't work out. I'm not necessarily responsible for it. Then you have regretful, which is when things don't work out like the way you want, but it was caused by my decisions, actions, or failure to act. So again, same thing. These are like little sisters here, disappointment and regret. We're both not happy with how it turned out, but in disappointment, we think it's outside of our control. With regret, we think it's it was inside of our control. We did something that caused it or we didn't do something that caused it. So the kind of ownership there is inside of us. Then we have discouraged. And discouraged is another. Now these two are siblings. We have discouraged and resigned. They're very closely connected. In discouraged, it's I am losing my confidence. So I think of like a little downhill. You're going down the hill. I'm losing my confidence and enthusiasm about any future effort. 
and I'm losing the motivation and confidence to persist. So you're kind of like coasting down the hill here. You're starting to lose that motivation and the confidence in yourself. And then resigned is when you have just lost it. For me, it's like we've gone off a ledge now and we crashed on our skateboard on the ground. So we're down at the bottom. And at this point, you've lost your confidence and enthusiasm for any future effort and you've lost your motivation to persist. So again, these are kind of like a this related but on the same trajectory. Then the last one is frustrated. Frustrated is something that feels out of my control is preventing me from achieving my desired outcome. So again, here the the responsibility we feel is outside of ourselves. There's something outside an obstacle person or whatever outside of my control, preventing me from achieving my desired outcome. And then she says, this one's actually related to anger in that they kind of can feel the same, but it's important to differentiate between the two because frustration, we feel that like, it's kind of like a buildup and there's that like, oh, there's something outside of me that's really frustrating me. And sometimes we feel like we can't fix it with frustration. There's kind of this feeling of like, oh, I feel kind of paralyzed because I can't fix it. But with anger, sometimes we feel like, ooh, we can do something about this. It's not just outside of ourselves. Like we really, and anger actually gives us, for me, anger feels more like, sometimes anger can be like a stepping stone. Like it, it's a precipitous to action, you know? Mm-hmm. Whereas frustration, like in, in for me, team. has kind of the opposite effect. It's kind of a little bit more suppressing feeling. Like, oh, I'm just so frustrated. I feel stopped. I feel like I'm coming up against a wall kind of a feeling. So those are the things, when things don't go as planned, those are oftentimes the emotions that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I think the... As I was thinking about this chapter, what kept coming up for me was that often when we're going through these times in our life that, you know, when we're younger, we have these expectations of what life is going to look like. And as we go through it, we learn that for the most part, it's not going to look like that. (laughs) And that can feel very uncertain. And that feeling of uncertainty is that word kept coming up to me when I was thinking about this topic. Um, And I think the, the realization of how life just is that way and then helping myself emotionally handle that, um, the key to that is the vulnerability of accepting that we are not in control. Um, and so for me, when I was reading this chapter, the one, the word that kept pinging me of all of those was regret. And as I was reading the definitions, um, that is the one where we kind of take the ownership or whatever, the blame for it by saying, I could have done something or there was something I didn't do that I should have done. That is the one that is centered more on control. And so I realized, of course, that's the one that pings me because my go-to is to be in control. (laughs) And a lot of the other ones are more of of a not controlling, like for me, it was interesting. So reading this chapter, I'm like, wow, I don't think I've ever felt resigned. And then looking more into it is because 
I think I have some sort of control. So of course I'm not going to feel resigned. I'm going to obviously go more to regret because I'm going to think I can control things. So I think it's, it's very interesting to read the definitions and look at those little nuances of like, why is that the one that pings me the most? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when, when you're thinking about it, it's like, when I think about regret, it's like a very negative feeling that I don't think anybody likes to feel, right? Like, I think it's actually a feeling that when, if you think about a time when you felt regret, it's like, oh, no, don't want to feel that again. And I love that Brene talks about, I love that it's like, sometimes with feelings, like I can, I can name a few emotions off the top of my head that it's like, ooh, don't like that one. <laughs> I don't want to feel that one. But what I love about what she says about regret is that this is a quote that um, from the book that she says, the idea of no regrets doesn't mean living with courage. It means living without reflection to live without regret is to believe we have nothing to learn, no events to make and no opportunity to be braver in our lives. And I like what you said, Felicia, because same thing. It's one thing to feel disappointed in something, but that disappointment comes from maybe something that wasn't in my control. It's like, oh, I'm bummed that maybe I didn't get that job, but I actually feel like I did my best in interviewing and like putting the resume in and all of those things. But it's another thing to be like, like I really wanted that job and I feel like I could have done better in my interview or whatever it is. Then it's like, I have regrets about it. And that's a, like a yucky feeling. Like I don't love it. But what I love about this is that what, what she's saying with regrets is that regret is actually like one of our best teachers in life. Like if we didn't have regret, we wouldn't be able to reflect and look back in our life and think, man, I wish I would have been kinder to that person. Like, I wish I would have been maybe a little bit more like sensitive or on the flip side, I think for me, um, because of sometimes how I tend to face maybe like conflict in my life, I think sometimes my regrets come from like not saying something that I wish I would have said or like, you know, like taking a stand when I maybe wish. And because of that, like I look back at certain things and I think I regret that and it makes me be better like now and in the future. Cause I think like, I'm not going to do that again. Like I know that I didn't like how that felt and like, I'm going to be different this time. And so I love that for me, I feel like reading this, it was actually really good because it, sometimes I think of regret of like, Mm-mm, don't want, <laughs> like I don't want to feel that. But instead when we look at it as our, one of our best teachers, even though it's uncomfortable, it actually changes the feeling that I have about it. That it's like, oh no, regret is actually a part of living. And it means that we're reflecting, which is actually a really big part of becoming better. Like if we weren't reflecting, it means that we just keep moving on with life and probably making the same mistakes. Um, so I like that distinction because it's like, we're going to feel disappointment and regret, but I love that regret actually can, can propel us forward to more where we want to be. I find myself really actually resonating with the idea of regret in that I find myself paralyzing myself because I don't want to regret something in the future. Like it's like I'm afraid of my future self regretting my current actions and so it paralyzes me completely. (laughs) And because I just don't like that feeling. I hate that feeling of being like, ah, I just want to go back in time and change this a hundred percent. But I I can't because you can't go back in time. Well, you can do inner child work, but it's not quite the same thing. And the thing, the thing that really stood out for me with regret, well, two things. One, she said that oftentimes in the short run, we regret what we do, like the bad decisions that we make, quote, bad decisions. But in the long run, we regret the actions we didn't take. So I actually feel like in my life, that probably applies more. I'm paralyzing myself, trying not to regret in the future. But 
once I surrender to the fact that all I can do is what I know, knew, I can only do what I know right now, using the stuff I have right now, making the best decision I can, knowing later there is no preventing regret. Regret is actually, she actually says, it's emerged in her research as a function of empathy. So when we look at regret through the lens of empathy, and she says when we use it constructively, it's a call to courage and a path to wisdom. That's what wisdom is, is looking at ourselves through the lens of empathy, of I made those decisions with the information I had at the time, and maybe now I think it was a terrible decision. Or maybe now I think it was a medium decision, maybe I would have done something differently, whatever. But instead of just beating ourselves up of, I cannot believe I now have regret, it's, oh yes, okay, welcome to humanity. How can I look at myself with empathy, but now I have more information. And that's how we get wisdom. And what I have learned, not just from regret, this is actually any hard thing. I think wisdom, for me at least, and as I say this, I'm clear to be clear, I'm not saying I have wisdom because I think actually that precludes you from actually having wisdom. What did Shakespeare say? The foolish man thinking himself wise, <laughs> the wise man thinking himself a fool. I really do think I'm a fool. The more I learn, the like the less I know, sincerely. However, it makes sense to me that wisdom, the more I learn, the more regret I have, the more just honestly, the more things I see of the world, the more empathy. They're all tools of empathy. For me, all of life's experience is a tool for empathy. So now I'm broadening this not just to regret, but what I'm learning is that as we experience life through a lens of reflection and empathy, it allows us to have the wisdom to not judge others from a space of hierarchy. That's what it feels like to me inside of myself. Not only do I look at my past self with empathy and compassion, but it allows me to look at people around me that when I was 19, I would have been like, you're an idiot, right? And now you'd think now, you know, almost 20 years later, I would be thinking that even more. But for me, it's less. It's like, man, you probably have a lot of programming in you right now that you're working through and you're making the best decision you can with what you have. Sincerely. So to me, that is a huge, it applies when we're talking about regret, it applies for me because it means looking at yourself and everybody else in the world with lots of compassion and empathy and using self-reflection, as much reflection as we can. This is a mirror to myself. My past choices are a mirror for my views now. That person's choices that are triggering me, same thing, mirror to what's happening inside of myself. All of it is a reflection, right? And to me, one of the gifts of this is you uh, just start to lose judgment, you know, start to lose. And I'm not saying judgment as in, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the kind of judgment that's just discernment, that's important to keep. But when it comes to actually judging others from a hierarchical standpoint, it just starts to melt away, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I think that it, when you think about looking back, you would almost like if you can switch your mind and say like, of course I have regret because I'm looking back from a new wiser place and a place of new knowing of myself. So of course that's going to be there because I'm developing what you're saying, that empathy and wisdom. I think that's a really cool way to 
look at it and change the lens of regret. Yeah, totally. Um, another thing that, well, that I was thinking about when you guys were talking, cause Felicia, I'm with you with, I mean, I think we all want control. And I, I was thinking like, again, I think I'm such a planner that like this whole chapter, like when things don't go as planned. Yeah. It's like hard. Cause it's like, well, but I do have a plan for how I, how I see things being. And I, I've planned out my day. I've planned out my week. I've planned out my year, planned out my life. Like I like have certain things that I want. So this whole chapter was really good. Cause it's true. Like we have plans for how we want things to go. And then when they don't happen a certain way, like it, it's, it's hard. And it is really uncertain because it's like, wait, 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 wait. This is like, so it's, I feel like, especially for my tendency to be a planner, this chapter is really good because in my mind, I'm like, well, why wouldn't it go as planned? Like I've already, like, I know how it's going to be. I know what I want to do. So, um, what I liked, so I actually listened, um, to a podcast with Brene Brown and she talked about these and she, she talked about how, like, when we, cause I think I look back, I feel like when I was younger, I don't know if this is how you guys feel, but I feel like there was a, a lot of new things. Like you're doing new things a lot. And I feel like when you're doing something for the first time, often things don't go as planned. And so it almost becomes a little bit easier to like hold on to an outcome because it's your first time doing it. But as I've gotten older, so it's like, you know, when you're younger, a lot of things are new, right? Like as you're growing up, it's like you're learning how to drive for the first time. You're learning how to apply for jobs for the first time. Like there's all sorts of firsts as you're younger. But then as you get older, I feel like for me, sometimes those first time of doing things goes down. And so I sometimes like get a little bit com- like comfortable in feeling like, oh no, I got this. Like I know what I'm doing. But I love that. Like sometimes like the secret of life is, is doing things for the first time. And I think sometimes when we do things for the first time and it doesn't go as planned, we can tend to be like, well, this is the worst. Why am I doing this? Like, why did I choose to do this? Um, but what I like is when we, when we can approach things. So, so Brene Brown actually talks about, um, there's kind of like an approach that we can take when say you're doing something and it's not going as planned. And it's not what you thought it would be. And you're feeling bugged. You're feeling all these emotions of like maybe disappointed, regretful. Maybe you're feeling discouraged. Like I'm losing my confidence to keep doing this. Um, She has like three things that we can do that I actually think is really helpful. And what I think is cool about this is that they're concrete things that we can do that I actually think also it's modeling for our children as they go through uncertain things. It's modeling for them that it's like, it's okay to feel uncertain about certain things And like, we're still safe and okay. And like, there's a way to approach it. So like her first thing that she talks about is naming what it is like, okay, hold on. If it is your first time doing something, it's like, name what it is. It's like, okay, wait, this is actually my first time. And then the second thing is like getting perspective. Like, I'm not always gonna feel like, say for instance, I mean, being a mom for the first time, I feel like is an adjustment and a really new thing that it's like, you can plan for having a new baby and you can get all the right things and you can maybe even read the right books and talk to people. But then there's going to be things that like you're going to run into that you haven't planned for, or that you didn't know was going to happen. Like that's a really big one. And even becoming a mom for the first time, but even every subsequent kid is a new adjustment. So like, I think thinking about it where it's like, sometimes it's like, Oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I feel like when I had two kids, like when my second kid came, I was like, I don't know. 
I don't know how to be a mom of multiple kids when they're both needing me at the same time. Like, I feel like I've planned for this, but like, there are certain things that this is just, I don't know how to like deal, deal with this. So I love that it's like, hold on, this is my first time being a mom of two kids. I've like, I've never done this before. And then like getting, getting perspective of like, this isn't always going to feel this way. I'm not always going to feel totally unsure, not sure where to go from. Like, I'm not always going to feel these things. So like getting some perspective of like, this feels this way now, but it, it's not always going to be because that's how it's been in the past, right? Like I always am able to gain some perspective and I get better at it. And then the last one is like setting realistic expectations, not just for you, but for everyone that's involved. So like, say with the example of a new baby, it's like setting expectations for yourself of like, okay, hold on. Like we've talked about this in the podcast before, but it's like giving myself some grace. Like maybe I'm not getting up and doing a full miracle morning. Maybe I'm not like making this amazing breakfast for my children. Like maybe we are just having cold cereal and I'm okay. Like coming up with whatever those expectations are of like, this is okay. And getting everyone else involved. So like that includes, you know, like your other kids, your spouse, people that are maybe going to be involved in your care. And I love that it's like when we can name it, get perspective, and then set realistic expectations for everyone involved, that can help us get through things because things like that, they're not going to go as planned. But if we can kind of like approach them in a way, almost of like fluidity, it helps us to be able to deal with some of the emotions that are going to come that we've already talked about, disappointment, regret, like feeling discouraged. Those are going to come, but also realizing that it's like, this is part of the territory and it's it's okay. Like it's okay to feel these things. There's going to be some things that are in my control and there's going to be some things that aren't. And I think realizing that and recognize that is helps helps us to be able to get through things because it is a vulnerable place to be in anytime we're doing something new or for the first time and when things don't go as planned. Um it is like a vulnerable place to be in. So I think like some of these steps were really helpful for me to think about in my life and like how to approach things in a way that are going to help me to like process and move through them. Yeah. <laughs> what ping pings and that words working for me this episode, because all these little like words and moments are making me think of things. But when you were talking about when you're young and you have these plans for your life, um, <clears throat> I think that there's phases of forcing our own hand. Like we, we have these plans and we force ourselves to stay in them because we need to be vulnerable and let go to have the new beautiful opening and change. But that's really scary because we have laid out our, a lot of us have laid out what we think our life is going to look like. And I think we stay stuck in situations that are not for our good, for our benefit. We stay stuck in relationships. We stay stuck in jobs. We stay stuck in friendships, all these things because, but this was my plan. I had this plan. Mm -hmm. And I think that the practice of letting go is a really beautiful way to recognize like, can I be more open to what the bigger plan is? And for some of us, that might be, you know, it might be like a, a 
a God type feeling like a divine source has, like, like there's this bigger plan, what, however you picture it for you, this practice has really helped me see that my plans aren't really like the most important plans. The, the energy of the world, whatever, if that's too woo-woo for you, then put in your own analogy. I don't care. But there is a letting go that is involved in our plans for our lives. And something that I just heard recently, actually, I heard this from Elizabeth Gilbert a long time ago, but Glennon Doyle just did a podcast with her where they did this practice live. Um, but it's basically a journaling practice where you're writing to your perception of God. Um, there's also a book that's called conversations with God that I love that is essentially an entire book of someone doing this, but you journal your question or your concern or your thoughts or your problems to your divine source. And you let that energy talk back to you. And I've been doing this practice a little bit on some like life planning decisions that um, I've been thinking about. And what always comes up is that basically whatever is supposed to be is going to be and the torment comes in resisting it. And it could be this, like one, this choice, and it could be this choice. And it is just going to be one of those choices. And that will be the right choice. And it's really interesting. Like every time I do this practice, I'm like, oh, it's just surrendering. Because literally just surrendering to what is, which is, you know, what the Buddhists have been telling us for so long. But I think that for me, it's in the like strangle holding my plans and making them work for what I want is uh -huh. when the train goes off the tracks. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, I love that Byron Katie, I feel like I always go back to this, like whenever I think something like should be a certain way, whenever I hear myself internally saying like, but it was supposed to be this way, or like this should be this way, or I don't know. I feel like I think to myself, nothing should be anyway, like it is what it is. And so it's true. Like, I think sometimes when we're almost trying to like fit a round hole into a square peg, it's like, but this is what was like, this is what I planned. But sometimes you're right. It's like, but also like that is just life. It's like we have a plan, but then there's going to be things for, for infinite amount of reasons why it doesn't go as planned. And, and that's like part of life. And I also think it's the journey, like the journey of us then yeah, surrendering and whatever that's going to look like for us and having these emotions is okay. Cause like, that's just part of life. Like we can plan for things and sometimes things do go great. And sometimes they even work out. Well, actually I feel like sometimes they always end up working out better than we had imagined if we can approach it in a way of like, it might not always work out the way that we had planned it or hoped for it. But sometimes I feel like when we are trying to involve divinity, like God within it, I think it always ends up being better than we had imagined. Yeah. That line between like this wondrous, beautiful thing and like really scary is a thin line. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Amen. And <laughs> alignment itself, it's fascinating. Over time, I used to think that it was like a submitting my will to God's and like a, I don't want this, but God does. But it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Now I'm, we're getting into the realm now of we're getting kind of 
I'm esoteric here, but but for me, what I'm finding, and I think we're all trying to find the same words, but we're trying to describe something that's very difficult to describe. But <clears throat> it feels to me like alignment is actually when you surrender into the path that is your source, that it's actually one. It's one one path, one alignment, one will. It isn't the thing that was opposed that I used to think it was opposing. It's almost like I've thought this whole time that I was pretending to drive a car, but really God's hands were on the wheel the whole time. And I'm just like pretending like I'm like, I'm like learning, like, oh, look at me. Whoa, look, I just made the turn. And it's almost like I'm surrendering to the fact that there's this unity, there's this oneness, there's this alignment and connection. And as I surrender to the path, it's actually the desire, the aligned desire inside of me is actually the same thing as that path. And there's more I can feel, I can feel I'm not describing the thing that's inside of me, but it's almost like an uncovering that's in there somewhere deep. Um, But there's definitely surrender. Wow. Talk about, I used to hate the word and now it's like one of my favorite words. It's like a mantra I say all the time. Like I'm surrendering, I'm surrendering. And it's, I actually do think that as we surrender, things become better than we even imagine. Sincerely. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that is exactly also how we planned. (laughs) Not the same (laughs) Not the same thing. Which kind of leads us to the concept of disappointment. So what about when you had in your mind exactly this thing that you wanted and it's not the exact same, it's not the thing. Um, Brene in her research talks about how we either people oftentimes just try to lower their expectations. Like I will expect nothing, you know, and then, then I won't be disappointed or they go somewhere and they just like get locked in. Like we're talking about where you want to control where you're like, Whoa, this thing is going to happen no matter what. And if it doesn't, I'm going to be devastated. And she says that there's a middle path that emerged in her research. And the middle path is examining and expressing our expectations. She says there are many people in the world today who decide to live disappointed rather than feeling disappointment. They're so worried about the future feeling of disappointment that they just constantly live in a constant state of disappointment, <laughs> you know, which is a fascinating concept. And here mm-hmm. we, we dive a little bit into foreboding joy because she says the way we try to stop ourselves from feeling disappointment takes the shape in many shapes. Numbing, which we know what numbing is, right? Foreboding joy being cynical or critical or never really fully engaging. So that's the way that she's saying we just kind of live in a constant state of general disappointment, trying to keep ourselves from feeling a big future disappointment. And she gives an example of, and I'm actually, I'm actually going to switch this. She gives an example of a man who she talked to, who was trying, he tried to go through life with no expectations. Just like always, he, he said, I'm going to expect the worst all the time. So not only expect, not expecting good, but actually expecting, actively expecting the worst. And then one day his wife was killed in a car accident. And then he said, interestingly enough, expecting the worst didn't prepare me at all. I still grieve for all those moments we shared that I didn't fully enjoy. My commitment to her is to fully enjoy every moment now. So and I've, I've actually heard a lot of people say this. I have a friend whose son died in a freak accident. And the way she describes it, she was like, you expect it. Like, not expect, but like when you think about things like that, you think that'd be the worst thing ever. But she's like, no thinking about it ahead of time took away the grief of when it actually happened. She said almost it was the fear of it happening was almost worse. Like when it happened, the grief still had to come. She started to move through the grief and 
the foreboding of it didn't help. And I think that all the time, when I think in my mind, these terrible worries about the future of these big disappointments that could happen. And I think to myself, if that actually ever happens, I'm still going to have to just feel the feelings of it. Me feeling it ahead of time, we can't like pre-feel grief. We can't pre-feel any of it. So all it is doing is robbing us of our moment, right? All of us doing is robbing us of our joy right now. So foreboding joy is something that I really resonate with. And when Brene Brown first named it in one of her first books, I was like, oh my, I am a joy foreboding person. I have a beautiful moment. And then I'm like, what if they die? Or this is so beautiful and it's going to end. They're going to grow up. The leaves are going to fall off the trees. Whatever it is, it's like Olaf in uh, Frozen 2, if you've seen that, where he has that little like, this is so amazing, but it's changing. And for me, that really resonates of we're just taking away from our present moment when we do that. We're still going to have to feel the feeling of when the thing, if and when the sad thing happens, we're still going to have to feel it then. So, And that is disappointment. When something happens that we weren't planning and we have to grieve or we have to feel then we can just feel it then. So I try to make myself, try to make that commitment for myself of when this happens, I will just feel it when it happens. But me pre-feeling it is just robbing me of this very moment. And I've experienced over the past, I don't know, a little while, there's a few fears of mine that I've been so afraid of happening, right? Like, oh, if this happens, it's going to be so hard. And it's interesting. Then when the thing actually happens, this this literally just happened to me a few weeks ago. The thing happened. And I was like, whoa, that's really hard. And it was so hard. It didn't. But yeah, me like thinking of ahead of time really didn't help me at all. I just still had to feel the feelings of it. And I do have to say on the other side of something, when you face something that's really hard and you move through it, there also is kind of a liberation that comes because you're no longer dreading it. You know, it's like, a mm. oh, oh, whoa. I'm still here. Wow. That's, that's, that really is. It's like a little key, like that happens. So if you can just give yourself the key ahead of time, not have to keep dreading the disappointment. I think there is something really big to that. Dreading the disappointment ahead of time stops you, I think, from living. So something to think about. Yeah. And I wonder, so there's a practice that I really like and appreciate from I actually think Tim Ferriss like developed this but I could be wrong about that but it's it's called fear setting so instead of goal setting fear setting um and I'll share what it is but I wonder how you think it relates to that because this is actually so what you do is you put out all your all your goals so this might be a really good pra- practice for someone who's stuck in frustration, like roadblock filling or resignation as they're looking forward to maybe things haven't gone as planned and they're looking forward to what they might do to, you know, like keep moving on, but they're feeling resigned or frustrated. So you just take a sheet of paper, you make a column of your goals, if you will, but it's the changes, the next steps you want to do And then in the next column, you put all the, what is the very worst case scenarios that could happen if I take this step? And then column three is what can I do to prevent these worst case scenarios? So maybe it's, you know, I want to quit my job and start this new business. Worst case scenario is 
I don't make any money. I lose my house, whatever. What can I do to prevent them? I can gather up a nest egg first or whatever. Then the last column is what can I do to repair them? So if it did happen, oh, I could see if I could live with my parents for a little bit and save back up money. That would be the repair, whatever. But it's almost like preloading the disappointment or regret you could feel and facing it from a constructive place. That is the practice. Um, So maybe it's that you're not going to end up snowballing in this huge made up thing. You're really facing them ahead of time. I do like this practice, but it is kind of what you're saying is that you are looking you're pre-filling disappointment. So I don't know. Maybe well, it's, uh, sometimes it works and for sometimes it would make it worse. <laughs> well, my thought that came to my mind, because that I actually, I really like that tool, but I think there's like two separate things. And I think it's in my mind, it's actually, because it's like, yeah, I'm going to make decisions. I can't, there's certain outcomes that you're not going to be able to control, but you can plan for it. So I feel like what this is doing is like, it's kind of allowing you to plan for it and make plans for, okay, yeah, what, if this does happen, what can I do? If it doesn't happen, you know, like, yeah, what can I do to repair it? Like, I like all of those steps. Cause it's like, if you're going to make big decisions in life, I think, I mean, it makes sense to like put some planning into it. Like we obviously are creatures like, you have a plan. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like there's, I think that that's a really cool tool to be able to plan things. And I, I see it as, yeah, you're using, I'm feeling it ahead of time. But it's less of you're actually you are I think the key word that you use that I think that I'm remembering is that it's constructively kind of using those feelings to guide how you're gonna do it. It's like, okay, I'm gonna feel really disappointed if this doesn't happen and these are the steps that I need to be taking to either prevent, repair. But I think sometimes when we run into trouble and like what you were saying, Terilyn, is if it's we're running into trouble because it's like we're almost just like snowballing and it's not constructive, right? It's like, oh man, but what if, yeah, what if this person dies? What if this relationship ends? What if, and we're thinking of it, but it's not constructive. It's just, we're feeling all these feelings and causing ourselves this like grief, pain, whatever it is. When first of all, it hasn't even happened. And it's like keeping us up at night. Like it's doing nothing to to help us. So I see them as two different things. I think the tool that you just said, Felicia is, okay, I'm going to make a plan for how this is going to go. And I'm going to use this to help me constructively deal. And yeah, there's going to be things that I'm kind of like planning for all things, but then I'm not going to continue worrying about it when I'm going to bed at night or when I'm doing these other things. Like it's helping me to be able to feel these feelings in a constructive way rather than I'm now just not. I think sometimes when we do it like unconstructively, if that's the right word, it's like when it's taking over other parts of our life, when we could be living in the present and we're not because we're worried or concerned or like so preoccupied with Mm -hmm. other things. I think I see it as two different things. I think one is like an intentional way of using like planning for the future. And the other one is just kind of like when we let our minds just run wild, when we're kind of missing out on the present moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's a really cool, a cool tool really in all of these. What I'm hearing is it's like your ability for me, it's like a clearing of like my ability to see two things. One, that this is always going to happen. Things are going to not go as we planned very consistently. 
And if we have these tools, it will be easier. You know that feeling when you have been in a really hard time, a hard change in your life, something didn't go as planned, whatever. And you can start to see that line appear between the hard time and the after. Like you can start to see like, oh, we're going to make it through. Like, I think that these, these tools and why I love Brene Brown is she helps that line become clear faster because we are in touch with our emotions. Our, we, we can name it and, and use that naming to like work through these hard times instead of like drowning in it and then you pop out like, oh my gosh, I made it. It's almost like, oh, I have a little floaty. I'm going to hold on for a sec. Oh, I have a little log. I'm going to hold on. Like they, it really is so helpful to be able to name what's going on inside of us. It makes it way less scary. And that's why we keep coming back to Alice of the Heart and bringing you guys these little little nibs of goodness from it because it is just so helpful. All right, everyone. Well, that was so fun to talk about. And thanks for helping us find the magic. If you like what you heard today, please share this with a friend or loved one. This means so much to us and it helps the podcast continue to grow. And if this podcast has meant something to you, there are three things that you can do right now that will help us immensely. The first is to subscribe or follow us. And you can do that by going to our page, wherever you listen to podcasts. And then if you tap on the upper right-hand corner, there is usually a plus sign or a subscribe button. And just go ahead and tap that. And that will allow you to subscribe or follow us, which what this does is make sure that you never miss an episode. And it really helps us at Find the Magic. The second thing you can do is share it with a friend. So if you like what you heard, um, send it to somebody or post it on social media. This does a ton to help our podcast continue to grow and for us to be able to make more episodes. And lastly, um, if you've enjoyed being here with us on Find the Magic, we would love it if you could leave us a five-star review. Um, We read every single one of those reviews and we appreciate them so much. And we want you guys to know that we feel that you, our listeners, are our friends, and we're so grateful. Thank you so much for sticking with us on this journey. We have loved it. So let's find the magic together. Brown cows.